Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, thank you for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a stupendous podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I'm the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. And I have a little surprise for you today, because Volume 8 is now out in paperback and ebook on Amazon as well as the other volumes, one through seven. And for those who are interested, volumes one through six are available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon in audiobook format. So we're glad to have you along today, and I'm going to invite in my brother, Kevin. Kevin, how are you? Hey, Bill. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. It's warming up around here. Yeah, hot and humid today. First first really hot and humid day. It's supposed to be 90-something tomorrow. Wow, 90-something. Yeah. We were at 83 today, I saw, and that's pretty warm for these parts, you yeah. know? Yeah, 90-something. Good grief. Yeah. Makes you want to go out and mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Do some lawn gymnastics or lawn yoga. Perfect. <laughs> I'll be doing the squatch pose. <laughs> I got to see what the squatch pose is. <laughs> you know, the running squatch. Oh, the running squatch. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's an official yoga pose now, I think. <laughs> and one of my coworkers yesterday was uh, joking with me about her brother-in-law who had purchased a bar of Dr. Squatch soap. <laughs> Have you heard of it? No. Well, I, you know, I didn't think she was kidding me. I thought she was, you know, being truthful. Could then be, she yeah. pulled pulled up online a uh, a picture, an ad, and it's an assortment of uh uh <laughs> assortment of different bars of soap. There's like basil, Dr. Squatch soap, and some other stuff that looks like tar. <laughs> and uh, the picture on the packaging looks like a cross between uh, Spock from Star Trek and a guy covered with a lot of hair. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff. Dr. Squatch. Very cool. Oh, man. So, my brother, what do you got uh, up your sleeve Well, today? before we get into the Cryptid in the News segment, I was going to ask you if you saw the latest Skinwalker Ranch this week. Wow, yeah. I think it you was know, episode I, seven for our listeners out there. Yeah, I did. And as you know, that was the closing segment for this uh, trial season, which I hope they continue. Yeah, I think they'll continue. They left us hanging, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's all according to viewership. You know, I mean, right. I'm I'm into it. Uh, but I hope they do well uh, with the numbers they're looking for to keep it rolling, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, man, they came across some really oddball stuff out there, did they not? Yeah, I mean, it really looks like there's, like, it's some kind of either receiver or transmitter dish or maybe both with uh, to and from something up in the sky, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that, that whole scenario with uh, launching the rockets up to the level they believe that this focal point was at. Yep. And uh, then those little uh, UFOs appearing, glimmering in the sky. Absolutely. Just some really strange go. You know, and another real odd thing was uh, when they let up that balloon and it basically disappeared. Yeah, as soon as it got to 5,000 feet or whatever the magic number that they predicted would be, 
um, all the equipment went out on it, and then they never recovered it either. Yeah, very odd. And the guy that brought it there from the university, this other doctor, uh, he was like, this never happened before. Exactly. You know, so very odd. And then, of course, we had the Falcon uh, and the Dragon capsule. Uh, oh, that was awesome, the launch. Fantastic. I watched it oh. twice. <laughs> I did, too. It's so funny you say that. And I was just like, man, with all of the bad stuff that's going on in the world, I hope, I hope, I hope that this uh, launch is going to be successful. And not only was it successful, it was spectacular. Yeah. I mean, I was riveted and just rooting them on and everything went flawlessly. And uh, hats off to Elon Musk and his uh, SpaceX crew, man. I mean, them them landing that Falcon 9 first stage out in the ocean on a remote drone barge, like right in the center of the target. Like, holy cow. Yeah, just really, really remarkable. And it just shows you, you know, with all of the uh, numbskulls shipping American manufacturing offshore for the past... 25, 30 years, America was known for ingenuity, uh, for genius, for quality for so long. And then we threw it away, and here comes this spark of life in the company SpaceX showing just exactly what can be done right here on terra firma when people put their minds and spirits to it, it was just incredible. And also, you know, private industry. Like I, uh, of course, you know, I'm a high tech guy and my listeners, our listeners would be surprised by that based on what I do on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm a high tech entrepreneurial guy. And, and um, I thought it's just super cool that they come in you know, the folks at SpaceX, and it's a partnership with NASA for sure. And uh, I think it's great that it's the NASA astronauts as well. Um, but they come in in a relatively short period of time and do what's never been done before. You know, just super cool and just challenging all assumptions. Like, why do you have to throw this first stage away? We could just land it on a remote drone in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, like, like really? You know, you can imagine the <laughs> NASA guys originally were probably like, you are nuts, you know. <laughs> and just even dumb things, and then I'll get off of it, and we'll move on. But, like, I thought it was cool in that special leading up to the first launch where they were talking about that they basically do the whole assembly of the rockets and that right there in uh, Cape Canaveral. Like, they don't subcontract anything out. And, like, that seems so obvious that that would be better and more efficient and faster but yet, I don't think we ever did that before. Yeah, all under one roof, all under right. the control of the same people. Yeah. Just awesome. Way more efficient, much faster, you know, and, and probably a better quality product as well. Oh, well, I'm glad, Kev. You know, just absolutely awesome, man. And, you know, right. I was around, of course, uh, when the first Saturn V went up with John Glenn and then the the orbiting the moon and the lunar landings. And I remember seeing interior views of the uh, capsule and inside the lunar module with all of the rows of uh, toggle switches and knobs and dials. And you look inside that dragon capsule, man, it looks like something out of uh, Star Wars. It's, I mean, it's like literally the inside of a Tesla automobile. A couple of big touch screens, you know, just no steering wheel, but super cool. Yeah, like, so sleek, streamlined. It almost looks fake. It does. It does almost look fake. Like there's not enough there for this thing to really do what it does. It's awesome. <laughs> All super right, cool. brother. I'm well, glad you brought that up. I uh, That feels like it's already three weeks ago. Yeah, well, you know, our audience, uh, we're Americans, man, and this is great stuff. And we should be excited and we should be uh, chatting it up about it. So here we go. Absolutely. I mean, I never look. I didn't get a chance to look at how many people watched it, but I hope a lot of people watched it because it was spectacular and it was a feel good story at a time where there's not a lot to feel good about, honestly. Yeah, well, that's good, you know. know. 
Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. We are. We're going into the land of cryptids and other oddities. Excellent. I got a cool story for you guys tonight. All right. So this is going to be about the Hop Hopkington goblins, or they're also known as the Kelly goblins. <laughs> Do you know these, Bill? Uh, I might have had a couple of beers with them. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, and I said Hopkin. I said Hopkinton. It's actually Hopkinsville. Sorry, I misspoke, folks. And it comes from Kentucky. So the the bigger town in the area is Hopkinsville. Kentucky. It's on the western edge of Kentucky, down near the Tennessee border. Um, and it's uh, this this cryptid uh, has a ton of information written about it. And I, I, I'll tell you, you'll probably hear me ruffling around tonight in some papers because there are hundreds of pages of quality information out there on this cryptid. Unbelievable. Now, what was this, cool. the second name? Uh, Kelly. Kelly is the name of the town where they were actually seen. Okay. And I'll tell you who they are, uh, these goblins. Um, but the bigger town is Hopkinsville. So you'll hear them described as both, but it really happened, the sighting happened on a farm in Kelly, Kentucky, and there were 11 eyewitnesses of... Uh, of the uh, creatures. These 11 eyewitnesses weren't uh, shiners, were they? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> they actually, the, the chief of police, who's a pretty reputable guy we'll talk about, he searched the house when he went out there and saw no signs of any alcohol, <laughs> including shine. Except for the jug that he took. <laughs> <laughs> there was none left after he left. <laughs> All right, let it rip, bro. Yeah, so the story goes, and um, the one main report that's out there that you can download is called Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955. So that report is a couple of hundred pages long, and uh, it's uh, super cool. And then I also found some good information on uh, with our friends at history.com tying it all together. So this story or this sighting, it happened on the night of August 21st, 1955. So get a picture of that super cool 1955 Chevy Bel Air two-door uh, in your head, and that's the era we're talking about. Awesome. And down there, you know, uh, well, the whole country back then had like a third or less of the population we have now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's back in the time where you started to see the re recordings and reportings of UFOs, right? Going back after World War II, kind of for 1948, and that this one, 1955. Awesome. And the way this uh, story started was uh, this family, extended family, by the name of the Suttons, 11 of them, arrived breathlessly at the Hopkinsville police station down in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And their story went to the police chief there of their house being uh, kind of attacked by otherworldly beings. And it would become one of the most detailed and baffling accounts of an alien close encounter that we have on record. So like I said, I never heard of this before until I came against it, came against it, came across it. But there was a ton of information out there about this encounter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, uh, again, the fact that the whole clan, now, of course, we'll learn more about it as you're telling about it, but the whole clan rushes over to the police station to f fess up to what they just saw. Like, hey, you got to, we got to do something, you know? Yeah, and it's small town USA. And like the police chief said, um, these were not the kind of people that would come down to the police station, kind of under any circumstance let alone 11 of them showing up in the middle of the night. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Must have been like the Keystone cops rolling into the <laughs> well, sheriff's office. We'll get into office. that a little bit. So here's how it started. So they, And these are the accounts given to the police, so kind of on record with the police. Um, they said at about, about 7 p.m. on this very hot Sunday evening, we were talking about hot and humid, so it was one of those nights, 
uh, one of the fr- family friends that was visiting named Billy Ray Taylor was out getting some water from the backyard and he saw a silvery object and the quote is real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. It came silently toward the house, passed over it, stopped in the air and then dropped straight to the ground. And when you look at there's maps of this and stuff like that, it looks like it dropped about 200 yards out behind the house. There was like a gully and it sat down in that gully. And who was watching at the time? Just the one fella? Just the one fella. So he went out to get water and he comes in basically, right? And everyone's there. And uh, he tells them, like, you're not going to believe this. And, you know, they basically say, yeah, you're right. We're not going to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) So they're laughing at him just like you're laughing. And they don't take him seriously at all. Right. So that's at seven o'clock. And now it turns out downtown in Hopkinsville, they also saw like three unidentified flying objects look like flying saucers come over the town heading north, which is towards Kelly, where this farm is. Wow. So kind of interesting where you have these dual sightings that could corroborate corroborate each other, right? Right. And of course, one doesn't know about the other, no, but they they're, both, the they're other. all seeing it. Exactly. Uh, so then about an hour later, their dog, right, they're all in the house. It's about nine o'clock at night. The dog's barking like crazy. And uh, uh, two of the folks, one is named Lucky, And uh, Billy Ray Taylor, who went out to get water, went out the back door of the house and uh, and saw a strange glow in the midst in in the midst of this strange glow. They see this small uh, bipedal creature. Hmm. Yeah. So the dog, you know, goes crazy. It hides underneath the house and doesn't come out for the for the rest of the night. So there was an so, hour, though, in between the first guy reporting what he saw coming down and everybody yucking it up, and yeah. then before they went back out again? Well, the, the, he saw the flying saucer. They blew, they blew him off, right? Come right. on, flying saucer, really? All the colors of the rainbow coming out the back of it? And uh, then this dog's going crazy, so they're like, okay, let's go see what the dog is barking at. They look out across the field behind the house, and, and again, in this report, which I'll put on our website, uh, a link to the download, they have maps of like where all these sightings were numbered, like when they saw it, where it was, what they saw. But they see this glow out in the field, and they're looking at this glow like, what the heck is that? And out of the glow, so not a flying saucer, but just some kind of glowing thing in the field, mm-hmm. uh, they see this small kind of human-like thing come out of the glow. Very strange. And we'll get into the full description here, but it's about three and a half feet tall. It's got an oversized head, almost like uh, if you think of like a raindrop overturned. So kind of the fat part of the raindrop is like the dome of the head. Right. And then the point of the raindrop is kind of the chin. Okay. And then it has these giant like uh, ears that are like... um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, gremlin ears, right? Kind of these big triangles out to the side, super oversized, and these giant yellow glowing eyes. Good grief. Yeah, and then it has these straight little legs that look like they have, like, suction cups on the bottom of them, so, like, no feet. Mm -hmm. And then its arms are super long, like they almost come down to the ground, and on its end, on the end of its arms, I'll put the sketches up, too. They made sketches, you know, like the police did based on the accounts. Uh, and it has like these kind of talons Ugh. that like collapse together into a point at the end of its arms. Great. Yeah, perfect. Just what oh, you want to run into, man. right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people through the years that have uh, had the opportunity to film or see uh, orbs, you know, yep. these glowing spheres of light. Uh, many people have said they believe they saw something inside the orb. like something. Exactly. And that's exactly, I was reading some of those reports. Because when they started seeing these, you know, back in the late 40s and 50s, I would say about half of the accounts said that they could see something in it. 
like driving it, right? Flying like, it. like it was a pilot or contained. Exactly. In it. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very certainly in the other oddities category. <laughs> <laughs> That's my specialty. Yes, it's super <laughs> odd. <laughs> yeah. So they see this thing coming, walking out of this glow, this creature thing. And again, there's sketches of them. I'll put them up on the website, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. They're super cool, very detailed, done at right at that time. And uh, so you'd like these two guys, right, Lucky and Billy Ray. Mm -hmm. What do they do? They grab a 20-gauge and a 22 rifle, and they start shooting at the little man. Yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> so they say that the thing raises its hands and uh, they start shooting at it and it does what they call a flip backwards. So kind of like, bang, it gets hit. It does a flip in the air, lands back on its feet, and then it fled away into the darkness. Wow. Yeah. Didn't get knocked down, though. Well, kind of flipped over backwards. Right, like right. They keep describing, quote unquote, Flip or flipped. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And you can't assume that two guys uh, uh, that have guns, neither one of them hit it. Oh, no, no. Like, it, they act like it was flipped because it got hit. Yeah. Yeah, that's But that it's not hurt by it, you know. So it's it's got some kind of, who knows, force field around it or protective suit or exoskeleton, whatever. Right, right. right. And then shortly, th so they go back in the house, they tell everybody what they're seeing, and just after that, they see a similar creature appear at the side window, or maybe the same creature. And of course, you know, these are screens, right, like on a cabin in southwestern Kentucky in uh, summertime, and they see this thing pop up at the screen window looking in, and uh, they again start firing at it right through the screen. Yeah, what else are you going to do, man? Throw the lead out. Exactly. They're throwing <laughs> the lead at the critters. Um, then they end up, they hear something out front of the house. So this is all happening in the back. And Taylor steps outside and it's got like a, you could imagine like an overhanging roof, right? On the front of the house. Okay. Like you'd see if you drove by one of these old cabins. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> Lucky is behind him. And as he walks out beyond the edge of the roof, this claw-like hand reaches down and touches his hair. Great. Yeah, and the whole group sees this from inside the house, like from inside the doorway. And uh, Taylor jumps back and Lucky shoots at uh, the thing up on the roof. And the thing kind of floats over into a tree. He shoots at it again. And it kind of floats out of the tree and scurries away into the woods. So it's like they were invincible to shots fired. Absolutely. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Very wild. Yeah, that is freaking crazy weird. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you, though, you mean these people didn't have Anderson triple pane windows on their cabin? <laughs> Uh, let me tell you, those people still don't have Anderson triple pane windows. <laughs> with, with solar guard? The solar guard may have protected them if they had it. <laughs> the triple E rated uh, reflective glass or whatever it is. Alien repellent glass. Alien repellent. That's why it's kind of green when the sun shines on. I never thought of that. <laughs> I think we're on to something. <laughs> wow. So what else happened? So they, uh, after that, so they shoot at it, I don't know, it's like 12 times, several of these. They never see more than one at the same time, but they assume that there's more than one. But when you look at some of the newspaper articles and stuff that were written, they talk about 20 or 25 of these things, but the family never talks about that. You know, they're like, oh, the newspaper went wild with it, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, which makes sense. They, they were, the family thinks it's definitely more than one. But they never saw more than one at the same time. Yeah, they can't corroborate it by seeing a group of them together. Right. But you so saw then they, they, uh, they take off um, and they go to the police station. All of them go. Mainly, I think, because no one wanted to stay in the house. Right. right you I got was... these creatures there. You all have seen it. You're not drinking. 
Uh, you're shooting at the things. You saw the flying saucer, saucer ahead of time that you were laughing about, and now you're like, holy cow, what are we doing here? Yeah. So they all pile into multiple vehicles. They drive down the road. I think it's like seven miles, and uh, they go to the police station. They have policemen on duty, calls in the chief. The state police is called. The state police come. They call the local newspaper. Everybody heads out back to the house that night. They hang around for like an hour, hour and a half, looking at everything. They see bullet holes, you know, in the, in the side of the house. And uh, they see the shotgun shells out in the yard, in the front and the back. And they see how shaken up everyone is. And apparently, you know, the matriarch of the family, the mother, she was somebody who's super conservative. You know, basically everyone says could not tell a lie. Like if she said it happened, it happened. Sure. And they interview her and she's like, yeah, this is absolute, no doubt about it. This is what happened. You know, I saw it too. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're all out there. For, now, Now we'll get to this in a minute, but the place is lit up like the Empire State Building, right, with all these police and, and newspaper folks out there. And um, they end up, you know, doing the investigation. They're convinced. They write in their reports, you know, something really did happen out here based on how shaken up these people are, you know, and that there's no sign of alcohol or anything like that. And they see that they really did fire guns and stuff inside the house, which is a big deal, right? Certainly. Yeah. Um, so they end up leaving. They shut off all the lights in the house. They, they're trying to settle down and go to bed. And this, this, the, the mother of the house, uh, let's call her mom Sutton. She is, uh, laying in bed and feels like something's watching her. She opens up her eyes and she's looking out the screen window of her bedroom. And she sees this creature again, looking in the window. Oh, my goodness. Right. And she writes about it in multiple accounts where she blinks her eyes. She closes her eyes because she's like, I can't really be seeing this. Right. And as she opens her eyes four times and the thing is still there. And then she wakes up her husband next to her and says, you know, you're not going to believe it. This thing is right there. And he's like, I'm going to shoot it. And she's like, no, no, don't shoot it. That Look what happened before when you shot it. It just got worse. You know, I don't think they're going to hurt us. And he says, I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> he grabs the shotgun next to the bed. Boom, boom, right through the screen again. So they need some new screens out there yeah. on the minimum. Yeah. A lot of mosquitoes in the house that night. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, you know, then the thing's gone. They turn on the lights and they start to reach, you know, uh, kind of a slightly experimental conclusion that um, these things don't like the lights. So maybe that's why they weren't there when uh, when all the police were there, right? Wow. And the place was lit up like the Empire State Building. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, super crazy. So they they uh, the police and the investigators all come back the next day during the day around two o'clock in the afternoon, and they go through the whole thing. They see. What they're talking about, you know, I mean, they see the shells again outside, more shells. And it's interesting. They go out in the field and they see like where they were talking about seeing this glowing thing. And there's something about the grass that's actually glowing out there. Oh, boy. Yeah. Some type of who knows. I mean, who knows? Uh, I mean, radiation doesn't make things glow. Uh, yeah, or- they actually described it. It's interesting you say that. I can't think of the chemical that like they put in the older uh, analog watches that glows, right? You know, makes the hands glow. I just can't think of that. And that's that's uh, as I recall, is slightly radioactive. Yeah, that phosphorescent stuff Whatever that made the is, dials. Yeah. It wasn't going to hurt you. No, but not it, enough to hurt you. Yeah, it was some type of radioactive. You uh, probably don't want to eat dust. It, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they come back. They don't see anything, and uh, these folks never saw anything again. But then in the investigations, they started to tie it together with the fact that others saw, you know, UFOs that night in the area flying that way. Wow. And then um, uh, down the road is uh, 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 an army fort as well. 
and they uh, they notified them, and they were supposed to do like a uh, a full investigation. Uh, the government was supposed to do an investigation, and they never saw anyone come out to talk about it, but they wondered if they interviewed people that saw it at the fort. I wonder, you know, I mean, I don't know, but I wonder if that army base that was so-called down the road, uh, if they had uh, missile launching capability at that time. Yeah, I don't know. You know, right after World War II, I would I would probably say that not yet, like on the edge of it, right? Yeah, because, you know, when those Nike bases, those Nike silos started yep. being set up, I mean, the Cold War was engaged with Russia pretty quickly after uh, World War II. I mean, you know the deal. There were some generals like Patton who wanted to invade Russia. <laughs> he thought he it, just wanted to invade everybody. Yeah, he wanted to just keep fighting with his army, you know. But he was under the impression yeah, it was MacArthur, be, MacArthur too. MacArthur, yeah, that there was going to be trouble, you know. Wow, he's going after him, taking names. Yeah, <laughs> oh, but um, but they, you know, so so that's that's what happened. Again, I touched on the surface of it. There's hundreds of pages of information on this. Super interesting, and then. Folks went back, like, you know, this this big document I talked about, Close Encounter at Kelly and others of 1955, that was written by Isabel Davis and Ted Blotcher um, for the Center for UFO Studies. And they wrote that in 1978. And they went back and interviewed a lot of people in the town uh, about this and wrote about it, you know, in hundreds of pages. And included the police chief, some of the policemen, some of the state troopers, and some of the family. And it's pretty interesting. Apparently, especially the family, uh, this gets to, Bill, when we often talk about, you know, if you saw a Bigfoot, would you tell everybody? Um, The family was like ridiculed nonstop and kind of, you know, damaged emotionally after telling people about this sighting. Yeah. So they said basically everyone descended on them, you know, wanting to basically set up shop on their front lawn, selling, you know, uh, alien dolls or whatever they were selling back in 1950 in the 50s um, and just making fun of them, too. So, you know, when they went back and wanted to interview them, including the matriarch of the family, she was very hesitant. They finally did get an interview with her. But it was interesting, like she said, I will only comment on things that I actually saw, but nothing else. You know, unfortunately, this is the way. I mean, more times than not, this is what happens. Somebody is trying to just talk about what happened, and they end up becoming the laughing stock, whatever you want to call it. And then they look back and say, geez, I should have just shut up about it. You know, unfortunately, that's <laughs> so, what happens, you know. So I got I got to end on one note. So, you know, some of the some of the uh, 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 well, all of these stories of other oddities. Right. And cryptids, too. They always or typically have a section where someone comes up with the explanation for what the people saw. Uh, I got right? I got to so hear for this. Bigfoot. It's always a bear. Uh-huh. Right. So what do you think? The explanation is for by by one person at least that wrote about uh, for these little men. What do you think they really were? Uh, well, I know what they were. Uh, when the Wizard of Oz was finished filming, the <laughs> flying monkeys had nowhere to go. Oh, the flying monkeys! Yeah, so they inhabited the woods uh, in uh, Tennessee. Well, your explanation is much better than the explanation <laughs> that was given. This person said that um, many of these alien encounter stories were likely great horned owls. <laughs> yeah. Listen yeah. to this. Yeah. Because the owls have long wings that could be mistaken for arms. And they also have talons. And they said that these alien creatures had talons. Right. And they have yellow eyes, long ears, and a round head that might match the little men description. Yeah. And of course... Get this. Get this. It gets better. <laughs> As for their metallic shine and glow. Yeah. 
they could have easily been reflecting moonlight off of their feathers. Uh, I can't see anything. I can't find any holes with that. <laughs> you know, but the one thing I'm wondering is about the ability of a great horned owl to backflip uh, after, after rifle shot and buckshot. <laughs> <laughs> and come walking back to you. That would be one tough owl. <laughs> he didn't mention that. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, that was good stuff, Kev. It was a great horned owl with a Kevlar vest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kevlar before it was invented. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's an awesome story. And uh, it actually, you know, it sounds pretty real, as crazy as it sounds, you know. But when you when you read, again, all of the information about the integrity of the individuals, and again, and again this is a group that didn't really want attention. You know, they weren't trying to get the most views on YouTube. There was no such thing. And uh, they were really, you know, kind of shunning the attention for the rest of their lives. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And uh, that's an incredible story. And we'll talk about those who shun attention uh, in the uh, account that I'm going to bring out here. uh, Because there are no names mentioned uh, uh-huh. As you're about to hear, other than the names of the two children. Uh, but this couple, uh, this sighting or encounter was brought to my int- attention uh, from a couple that resides in Toronto, Canada. And uh, as I begin, the husband said that my wife and I are amateur naturalists with our home being filled with books and artifacts from years spent hiking in the woods. We have pressed leaf and fern collections, castings from wolves and other animal tracks, and all kinds of other oddities collected during our many excursions throughout the years. We have handmade lamps made from tree limbs that were gathered in the forest, And some of our furnishings were handcrafted by artisans from the forests to our north. I only mention this that you can kind of get a feel for the type of people we are. At the time of this sighting, our two children were 9 and 12 years old, with Sophia being the oldest and Eddie our youngest. At least twice a year, we would all go camping, but we spent many other days hiking and scavenging in a variety of locations together. One of our favorite spots was the Helen Barr Lookout Trail in Mississauga Provincial Park. It's not too far from Toronto, and it is absolutely exceptional, an exceptional place to hike and camp, having been there more than a dozen times before. The trail takes a few hours to traverse, so we generally bring a picnic lunch along to eat, and once we reach the midway point, typically in an area known as the Second Lookout, which is close to a lake named Helen Bar. There are many animals in this region, including deer, moose, wolves, and it's not uncommon to see wolf tracks on this trail because it is also used by the packs at times. In fact, this is where we had taken the casts of wolf prints, which we have at home. Many people are afraid of wolves, but this is an unfounded fear. They're actually quite shy and have extremely keen senses of both smell and sight. The only indication of the wolf's presence that most people will ever experience is their howling, which we've heard on many occasions. This time, we had decided to travel in September. October and September are the rut season for the moose, and we were hoping to stay out of harm's way and actually see a moose on this outing, which is easier said than done. As large as they are, it is extremely rare to see one here. And I will do my best to give you a good idea of what we were seeing and what you would see if you were there with us. The trail is large, oblong loop. The trail is a large, oblong loop, which heads out towards Helen Bar Lake 
and then swings back around with the return leg running alongside of semi-white lake. These are two entirely different bodies of water, with Helen Bar being very shallow and semi-white being much deeper. Semi-white is home to lake trout, whitefish, and a lot of minnows, most of which like the deeper water. While on the other hand, Helen Bar is less than 15 feet deep at its deepest point, but it does support a robust population of brook trout. Passing the boulder field, you start to enter into the heart of what is known as an upland forest, an area filled with red oak, yellow birch, and sugar maples. All of these trees are at the extreme northern limits of where they can grow and thrive. Directly alongside of them, you begin to see what is known as the Northern Boreal Forest, where spruce and balsam firs take over. While on the trail, you walk at the very cusp of the transition zone between these two different forests, and as you continue your hike, you also begin to see many stumps, which are remnants of the logging for white pine, which occurred here years ago. As you continue along this route, you'll see a large swath cut out through the forest, which was done intentionally by the province of Ontario. The young growth which springs up in these areas provides reachable and edible food for the deer population. As you approach what is known as the first lookout, you are confronted by steep rock faces which stand in stark contrast to the beautiful forests that surround them. Both from the first and second lookouts, you can see the shallow and lovely Lake Helen Bar. And in this area between the two lookouts, there are many large trees which have been uprooted by the wind, leaving their enormous root balls exposed. On this day, we began our descent from this second lookout and walked about a quarter of a mile, passing many of these fallen trees. When just up ahead of us, a large bull moose emerged from the forest, more than likely after a trip to Lake Semi-White, which is one of their favorite feeding zones. They love the aquatic plants that grow in the shallows at the lake's edge. He was right in our path, making mating calls as he lumbered along, and we didn't want to get too close, so we started to backtrack. As we did so, we snapped some pictures and tried to enjoy the moment while remaining cautious. He seemed as though he was not going to move on anytime soon, so we decided to back up near the area of the fallen trees and hang out for a while. Our only other alternative being to hike all the way back the way we had come. As we were waiting, Sophia told me she saw something come out from behind a tree. There were quite a few dead trees, so I asked her which one. And she pointed to a large root ball, maybe 150 feet away from us. As we all stood there focusing on this giant root ball, my eyes were drawn to a large black furry arm that was wrapped through and around some of the old roots extending from the side of this ball. No sooner had I begun focusing on it than did a large head jut out from behind the ball and it was looking right at us. Almost simultaneously, my daughter and wife said, Oh my God, look at that. The head started twitching back and forth in a crazy manner, moving back and forth incredibly fast, and the arm was pulled back out of view. My daughter told me that she was scared, and both children moved closer to us. I reached down to grab a large piece of branch, breaking it off into a club, and as I did so, this thing took off at a frantic pace, running through the trees. It moved so quickly that it was almost a blur, and we couldn't hear it crashing and thrashing through the trees as it ran. We were absolutely in shock, and my daughter was so frightened that she was crying. 
After a long minute, we started to walk back to where the moose had been, looking back over our shoulders the entire time. Thankfully, when we reached that area again, the bull had moved on. About 45 minutes later, we were back at camp and safe. Though brief, we had a good enough look at the creature that I can describe it in detail. I would estimate that its arm was over five feet in length and heavily covered in what seemed to be thick, blackish-brown fur. When it moved into view, we could see a portion of its body through the root ball of the downed tree, and it looked like a big gorilla. But of course, we all know that there are no gorillas present here or anywhere else in the States. Even if one fell to earth here, it could never survive the climate. This was a Bigfoot. The head had longer hair on it than the rest of the body, and when it started flipping its head left and right, we could see that long hair flipping back and forth. This is funny. It looked like a lead guitarist in the middle of some mad jam session, performing this twitching motion so fast that it was hard to comprehend why it would do so, but it was. When it ran into the woods, it led with its arms and hands, plowing everything out of its way. It was like a whirlwind of activity as it parted the brush and pushed forward through the undergrowth, slapping saplings and brush aside with seemingly no regard for getting hurt. <coughs> Excuse me. We could clearly see when it moved out of the cover of the roots that everything about its body was tall, well-formed, and muscular. The biceps and forearms looked like tree limbs, and from the back, its upper thighs must have been 16 inches deep, and its butt cheeks stuck out well beyond the thickness of its thighs. It was completely different in appearance from that of a human. Its hands and feet were extremely long, and when the feet were lifted as it stepped, I noticed that their bottoms looked like a leather shoe sole with coming, fur coming down the edges. At no time did it show its teeth, and when it disappeared, we could faintly hear it thrashing away for a fair amount of time before everything went silent. Of course, we don't know if it had broken into a clearing or if it was just too far away to hear it, but at that point, the encounter was over. What do you think Whoa. of that? Pretty strange, huh? Something else, man. Yeah, and you know, again, this is a family that's used to being outside, naturalists from their own description of themselves, been to this place before, uh, didn't make mention of ever seeing anything like it there before, and suddenly the encounter strikes. You know, who's to say when and how one meets up with Bigfoot? Yeah. No doubt about it. Wow. Something else. And so detailed, too. Yeah, well, you know, I try to fill... I know some people are impatient and they're like, you get on with it already. But, you know, the details, to me, are a credibility factor. Absolutely. And look, plus not- you don't know, you know, like you read about the researchers, right, that are that are really researching Bigfoot, Sasquatch. They're, you know, the best ones always say that they make note of everything because you don't know later on if that's going to be important or not. Right. Well, like it's it's almost like finding evidence at a crime scene, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You pick up whatever's laying around, a gum wrapper. You know, somebody later on, they might be like, oh, and the ear was really interesting. It had this detail. Yep. And then you're like, oh, I remember someone talking about that, but I didn't write it down. That's right. Yep. And yeah, it's, that's it's not good. hypercritical to me to uh, to listen to somebody who knows, you know, the moon was full and it was windy. It had just stopped raining. You know, this shows somebody that's really paying attention. It also has a good memory, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe there was a great <laughs> horned owl walking along looking like an alien. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, <Obviously>. here, he, <laughs> here he comes again. 
The moon was shining on him. <laughs> Made him look metallic. <laughs> yeah, so that was a great that was a great encounter, you know. You know what's That's interesting awesome. too? Uh the way they said that this thing was twitching nervously. Yeah. Uh, there's something about uh, some of these encounters. Remember the nervous bus? The guy at the yeah. nervous uh, nervous man standing at the bus stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And here we have this guy. He describes it as a lead guitarist with the hair flipping around, twitching <laughs> That's around. That's wild. Uh, I had another uh, encounter. I can't remember which one it was now, where the guy described the the, uh, the Bigfoot is twitching like a crack addict. I mean, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I guess... Yeah, crack Thankfully. Addict, yeah. Jumping around or, you know, can't sit still or whatever, you know. But uh, Very cool. In- interesting that, though, when this thing realized that it had been found out, uh, that it bolted. Yeah. And uh, unlike, like, the Freeman footage where this thing just kind of turned and walked away like, you're not going to do anything to me, uh, this thing took off quick. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm sure it depends on... Uh, you know, the prior encounters. Like if somebody squeezed off a couple of shots at it at yeah. some point in time, it's going to move more quickly out of there, right? Yeah, uh, you, you took the thought right out of my head. Yeah. Though, because it, it could have Versus been... Versus somebody leaving food for it or something like that. It's just like any other animal. Right, right. And, uh, you know, obviously this is some type of park, probably super rural, uh, but they did mention also that the... Uh, province cuts swaths out of the tree to let uh, growth come up that deer can eat. Yeah. So there's probably some chainsaws going on in there from time to time, and who knows who else is up there, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Probably a bit of a fire break, too, you know, in the forest. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. You don't know if and when somebody may have taken a crack Oh, yeah. Uh, At one of these things, you know, that was out there and had a gun. And uh, maybe they were awakened to the fact that, wow, things explode out here. And, oh, (laughs) oh, by the way, I'm bleeding. (laughs) You know? Jeez. Yeah, so that's it. Another incredible uh, encounter from the North Country. It's a good one. Definitely a good one. Good stuff. So what do we got today in our listener cool. we mail? Got, we got some good listener mail. Um, so the first letter comes in from Mike S. And this is kind of cool because Mike wrote in about the Minnesota Iceman, which I think we did in our last podcast, uh, which was pretty cool in Cryptids and Other Oddities. And he said... I wrote to you once before, and I'm not going to read his whole letter. He has a super detailed letter, but we're going to focus on this part here. Um, But this time, I'm writing in regards to your show on the Iceman. I remember my father taking us to the county fair when I was around eight years old. I'm 59 now, so around 1968 or so, which is the time we learned in the in that report that that uh, the Iceman was out going to these fairs and stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, Mike writes, continues to write, Anyway, at the fair was this sideshow thing about the Iceman. This was still about four or five years before I ever saw the famous Patterson-Gimlin footage, so I didn't know what to expect. Although by that time, I had seen the movie The Abominable Snowman of the Himalaya. Mm-hmm. And he writes, and it scared the yeah. bleep out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seeing the picture you posted of the Iceman brought back so many memories of the totally uneasy feeling I had looking at this thing. Of course, I had no way of knowing if it was the replacement you mentioned, but I do remember how disturbingly real it seemed, and I do remember the arm going over the head like that and the head itself. The thing that really bothered me was the way the head seemed to be attached to the shoulders with no or very little neck. It gave me a weird feeling of almost wanting to tear up for some reason, but could not understand why. Years later, when I saw the Patterson-Gimlin film... On some TV show, I got the same feeling again, but even more so this time. 
I know it sounds silly, but there was something about my child brain that looked at both those things and thought, that thing is real. Wow. Since then, I've always maintained an interest in the subject. And now that I find myself living in an area where there have been some sightings over the years, I may start to do some squatching. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Isn't that cool? Like, I mean, we talk about it all the time, folks, where we do a report like this and then you write in and you saw it at a fair, like, you know, in 1968. Like, how cool is that, Bill? It's super cool. And you can only imagine how many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people saw exactly the same thing. Oh, I know. And uh, super cool, yeah, and uh, uh, kind of weird too. The way he kind of uh, it's almost like he felt some kind of remorse or he teary eyed about seeing this thing, you know, yeah, kind of like it's a you know, it's a being, right? You know, yeah, he felt sorry for seeing it in a block yeah. of ice, you know, yeah, uh, you know, <clears throat> and this is why I say. Look, uh, people hear me always say at the end of the show, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. And I do believe that uh, because, man, if you catch one of these things in a bad day, uh, your butt's grass and the Sasquatch is the lawnmower. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? We're we're talking uh, mulching blade and leaving you on the lawn. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, So, you know, but... I understand uh, seeing a creature and having some feelings uh, about it, like or feeling sorry for something. Sure. Uh, especially looking at it in the block, all beat up, wondering how it got in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not for plugging a Bigfoot and freezing them in a block of ice to take them around and show them to everybody. <laughs> You know, so I hope people don't get the wrong idea out there, but I'm definitely not uh, interested in uh, shooting one uh, unless I had to. Right. Wow, that is really cool, Kev. What a what a response to a show. I know. It's awesome. I, I love to see that one. All right. We're going to move on and go to Carla in Montana. She says, all right, fantastic listening experience. You're right that there are many credible videos hitting the market which are not well known. And that Craven video took the cake. People bicker back and forth as people will. But one has to be numb in the brain to disavow all of those that you and Kevin have pointed out to date. Hmm. Your podcast and books are aptly named Terror in the Woods. (laughs) What else could one be but terrified? If they were to encounter such a beast. <laughs> Thanks. Love you guys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Peace out, chicky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carla. Yeah. Well, there you go, man. Uh, uh, you know, who's to say how one's going to react when you're confronted with such a creature? But I think yeah. she's right that most people would be like, like the guy in the swamp picture, Kev, again. The, oh, yeah. Once that thing stood up, man, I don't even know if the guy was armed or not. Maybe he was just hiking with a camera and said, I'm out of this joint. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got a feeling that most people are not going to be hanging around too long in close quarters with one of these things. Yeah, it's funny. You're bringing it to mind, you know, in the uh, Kelly uh, Hopkintonville uh, encounter that I talked about earlier. Remember I said after they saw it, they ran down to the police station, they brought back the police and a uh, newspaper person and a photographer from the newspaper. And um, and a photographer brought his wife with him, mm-hmm. turns out in the account. And she was super disappointed at the end when they were leaving that they didn't see anything. And she was kind of critical of a couple of members of the family. And I forget exactly what they said, but they said, you're lucky that you didn't see those things because your husband would have, you know, basically uh, dropped that camera on the ground and ran out of here like a kindergarten schoolgirl. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the exact quote. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, like I'm getting that. it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good, though. 
Uh, All right, our last uh, note comes in from Lois. And get this, Bill, I'm going to pronounce this town correct. From Aquabog, New York. Oh, right here on the island. Right there on the island. I used to have lunch in Aquabog the, way back when. The Elbow Room. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't remember the name of the place. Yeah, there's two Elbow Rooms it. now. The Elbow Room 1 and the Elbow Room 2. Well, you know, Aquabog has to be a booming metropolis. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it a booming metropolis, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's a few more people there now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she says... I love your podcast. It's the best in the business. Bill, on a non-Bigfoot-related topic, obviously, I live where you do. Have you ever heard anything about cougar sightings here on the island? This is certainly under your other oddities category. Now, by cougars, I don't suppose she's talking about older women that chase younger men? (laughs) Because you certainly have those on you. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely uh, more than a handful of them. Good grief. Uh, Yeah. Sorry, Lois, you walked right into that. Yeah, Lois, you you were set up for that. Uh, But, you know, it's really odd. I actually have two associates, both of them very credible. Kevin, you know one, my friend Danny the Fisherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny is not one to uh, uh, BS, which is li- why I have him as a fishing partner, because when we share information with each other, it's credible and truthful. Right. Uh, no fish stories, no baloney. I did or I didn't. And how big were they and what tide were they on? And what did <laughs> I use? Danny actually sighted a cougar a number of years ago, Kev, in his backyard in uh, North Belport. Wow. Now, when Danny told me that, he's a hunter, he's a marksman, he's a fisherman, no baloney. When he told me that, I was like, wow. And then a coworker of mine who happens to be, let's just say, uh, a director— high-level individual, uh, had a house on a piece of property uh, by the Pine Barrens, Kevin. You know I live on the edge of the Pine Barrens. Yeah. He is also an avid uh, gun collector uh, and has a vault filled with handguns. He's out in his yard one day. He's well familiar with the deer and all the other nonsense uh, around. And he's out in the backyard at night and sees a widespread pair of yellow eyes looking at him, peering out from behind one of the pine trees in the property behind his house. And he went in the house to get a pistol and thought twice about having a crack at this thing. I was going to say, you should bring something a little bigger. Yeah, well... You know, and uh, this individual, I, I won't mention his name, uh, but very intelligent man. And uh, his observations were that the height from the ground and the width of the eyes was way too wide to be anything here on the island. Yeah. And he thought it was a cougar. He called the could be. I mean, they're super stealthy. Um, you know, I lived out in eastern Washington, as you know, Bill, for a while, and there are a lot of cougars out there. But they're super hard to see too. Like it was interesting, even when they knew they were out there, like people would see a glimpse of a tail, you know, going around their house or something. You know, like they're they're just so sneaky and so stealthy. Yeah. yeah. And my my yeah. thought, Kev, of course, has always been now. We have coyotes here on Long Island. Right. There's been a couple of sightings, uh, and there's been pictures of them. We we know they're here. Uh, how the heck are they getting to Long Island? Yeah. How the heck does a cougar, what is it, coming, o- coming over the Throg's Neck Bridge? I was thinking it takes the Port Jefferson Ferry. Yeah. Dresses up <laughs> as a horned owl and sits on top of the... Uh... <laughs> well, I was going to say, you sure it wasn't a horned yeah. owl? Yeah. It's 
Hey, I mean, it could have been an owl. Yeah, it could have been an owl. You're right. If people mistake owls for aliens, <laughs> it could be a cougar. <laughs> Very strange. Well, that was an excellent. Awesome. That was an excellent question. And so there you have it. Uh, yeah. Just really weird stuff, man. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, well, folks, it comes to an end of another great podcast. Um, I thank you. You've been listening to me. You've been giving us great reviews. Uh, please continue while you're there now. Uh, click open your podcast player that you're listening to. Give us five stars, please. It's really important that you do that because you continue to bring more listeners to the podcast. And as we get more listeners on the podcast. We can continue to improve the quality of the podcast as well. So thank you very much for all of those five-star reviews. And be safe out there in this crazy world we live in. And be careful. Absolutely. And remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Sleep tight.